0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
1: Hey, Kenji and Keizo, thank you so much for helping me and Mark put all these books back before the taping.
2: We did a lot of research for this episode.
0: No worries. We love putting things in alphabetical order. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L... Kazo, why are you singing the alphabet? It helps me remember the alphabet.
3: Oh, oh, I do that too. I I can never remember if R comes before or after P without singing it. Have you heard
1: the one about the quadratic formula? It goes like this. X equals negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4AC all over 2A.
0: Oh, that's a good one. I have a little song about the months. January, February, March, and April. May and June and July. August, September, October, November, December.
2: Oh, I'm sure you guys probably do this one,
3: too. The zippers go on the front. The shoes go on my feet. Don't forget my pants (laughs) before you head to the
2: street. You guys know that one, right? I, I have to sing that one every day yeah, because totally. of an totally. unfortunate mistake.
0: <laughs> Obviously. Oh, man. Now
2: it's stuck in my head. The zippers go on the front. <laughs> oh, no. The shoes go on my feet. <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't forget your pants
3: <laughs> before you head to the street.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no.
1: Welcome to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and I'm joined today by twins Kenji and Keizo from Los Angeles. Hi, guys. Hello. So are you identical twins or fraternal twins?
0: We're identical, but I'm one minute older, so I'm one minute better. You wish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what would you say is the best thing about being a twin?
0: Uh, it's so fun because sometimes we could get out of trouble because whenever people, like, accuse us of things, then they'd laugh if they get our names wrong. That
1: seems very useful. Was that Kenji or Keizo?
0: Oh, that's me, Keizo.
1: Okay, so, Kenji, what is a thing that you don't like as much about being a twin?
0: Uh, A really bad thing, I think, is that when, uh, sometimes Keizo gets the credit of when I did something good or the other way around. Gotta learn to share everything, I
1: guess, when you're brothers. So today's show is about memory. Would you say that you have a good
0: memory? I don't have an elephant's memory, but it's fine. But kids is a total different story. Oh yeah, because this is kind of embarrassing. But I, I I could memorize a bunch of quantum theories, yet I wasn't able to memorize the months of the year until very recently. So. Thanks, Kenji, for the rhyme or song.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a really helpful rhyme. So so you could remember, like, super complicated things, but maybe more simple things were harder for you?
0: Oh, yeah, like quantum entanglement, which isn't—we don't know fully about quantum entanglement yet, but uh, we know it doesn't—it's ha- not what most people think. It would not cause teleportation because it has something to do with the theory of uncertainty.
1: Wow. You're blowing my mind right now. So <laughs> how far back can you remember—
0: The farthest I've remembered was when I was three, when uh, my sister went, used uh, ballet classes. Uh, I remember just waiting in the hall of the ballet class with Keizo. Yeah, probably when I was three too, I have that same ballerina memory. And I remember that uh, one time we went to Disneyland when we were super young.
1: Well, we asked you to co-host because, Kenji, you sent us an email asking us how our brains remember things. and It's a really, really good question. So good that a lot of people are curious about this, too.
0: Hello, my name is Sam. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, and my question is, how does memory work? Hi, my name is Lyra, and my question is, how does the brain keep track of all of your memories? I'm Fanula from Boston, Massachusetts. My question is, how does the memory part of your brain work?
1: When you stop and think about it, memory is this totally magical thing.
0: It's like a scrapbook you have with you always. Or like time travel for your brain. Oh, that's good. For instance, if I say
1: beach day, can you see the waves?
0: Or a sandcastle you built? How about the smell of sunscreen or salt water?
1: Memories can bring up a flood of sights, sounds, smells, and emotions from long ago. And all of it is stored in the cells of your brain. Cells called neurons.
4: Basically, a memory is the group of cells that were active or turned on at the time that a learning experience happens. That's Dr. Stephanie Grilla.
0: She studies memory at
1: Boston University. She says your brain is of billions of these little cells and when you're experiencing something for the first time a group of these cells are activated they light up then later when you remember that same experience that same group of cells fires up again this is called a memory trace
4: it's called a trace because it's not exactly like if you looked at your hand that's your hand but then if you were to trace it on a piece of paper then the tracing of your hand looks like your hand but it's not actually your hand Um, So it's sort of like that. It's a copy. It's like a photocopy. So that's sort of what memories are. They're sort of like photocopies of the experiences that we had.
1: And when a memory trace is built, the cells involved become a squad. They link together thanks to special chemicals they release called neurotransmitters.
4: So it releases a chemical and that allows it to talk to the next cell. Hey, we're making a memory. Pass it on.
5: We're
6: a memory, pass it on. We're a memory. so that
4: cell absorbs that chemical and then it releases it and it's like this chain and um, all of the cells in the chain now they have like this special bond where they're connected and they're they're connected forever now
5: we're making a memory
0: hey pass it on
4: if you were to think about something that happened in the past because you came across something that reminded you it would sort of light up like a couple of those cells and then because it was like a chain that is all connected, it would recall the entire group. Oh yeah, I remember that.
0: I remember too. I remember that.
4: totally remember that. Yep, that
0: happened.
4: That's what happens when we remember something. You have that set of cells that were active when the experience happened. You have like that set of cells come online again. We remember.
1: Memory traces like these are stored all throughout your
2: brain.
0: And since we make a lot of memories, there are a lot of these traces. Luckily, we have a special part of the brain that helps us organize all of this.
2: Yeah, the hippocampus. Hey, Sandin. Nice to see you. Hey, everyone. I'm here just in time because I have a great way to help you remember what the hippocampus does.
0: Is it a song?
2: Oh, man. It should have been a song. Ah, I haven't written one yet. But, okay. Hear me out, the hippocampus is this area in the brain that helps you create and keep track of memories, right? And it sounds like hippo and campus. Right, like
0: hippopotamus and the college campus where all the classes and buildings and open green
2: spaces are. Exactly, so let me take you to a magical place I call Hippopotamus University, AKA the Campus. Here at the hippocampus, brain hippos get hands-on training making memories. When you're experiencing something new, like, say, your first time taming wild badgers.
5: Down, badger. Down. Down. Stay there. Very good. Very good. Keep staying. Sit. Very good.
2: Awesome. The students at the hippocampus get to work. Now, as we mentioned, memories are stored throughout the brain. But it's the hippocampus that helps unite all those cells into memory. First, these clever hippos pick out the important details. This is hippo one. We've got incoming badger yells, incoming badger yells. Roger
7: that, hippo one. We'll be pairing that badger yell with an incoming
2: badger smell. The hard-working hippos at the hippocampus get signals from different parts of the brain, whether that's the part that processes sounds, smells, or vision.
5: Stay back, badger! Stay back! Stay back! It's O-O-C! Oh, no, You're getting a vivid visual of a badger going bonkers?
2: Copy that. We'll add the bonker, badger, to memory. The hippocampus even takes in details from the emotional center of the brain, a place called the amygdala.
8: This is hot off the press from the amygdala.
5: What does
2: it say?
8: It says... Fear. There's a lot of fear. Specifically fear of badgers.
7: Okay, add that fear to the memory.
5: Why did I sign up for this badger-taming class anyway? I don't even like badgers! I'm out of here! Bye!
2: So, once the memory is made, the hippocampus will keep tabs on it for recall. And your hippocampus is really good at making sure the cells for one memory... Don't get crisscrossed and mishmashed with cells from another memory.
7: Take note, hippos. The memory that henceforth shall be known as the Great Badger Blunder is stored in neurons in Sector B43, which is purposely far, far away from Sector G92, where we keep the eerily similar Squirrel McGeddon incident.
2: Roger that. Later, when you want to recall a new memory, The hippocampus will jump to action, so you can easily access it.
7: Hippos, please reactivate the neurons associated with memory titled The Great Badger Blunder. Repeat, bring back
5: the badger blunder, over. And then I was like, forget this, these badgers are untrainable. Speaking of dangerous animals, did I tell you about that time I was chased out of Kansas City by a scurry of savage squirrels? Yeah, scurry is the collective noun for squirrels. I know a lot about squirrels. So there's this one time I went to Kansas City and I saw them all up in a tree and then they started coming. Now,
2: over time, as a memory goes from new to old, the hippocampus is actually less involved in helping you recall it. Which is good because those hippos are busy enough. So next time you're making a new memory, Think of tiny brain hippos and their tiny brain hippocampus. Hard at work, so you'll have a good story to tell at your next party.
1: That is certainly a memorable way to describe the
2: hippocampus.
0: Yeah, thanks. And remind me to stay far away from the badgers and squirrels. Later, Sandon.
2: Bye. Remember me always.
0: Brains,
8: brains, brains.
0: Given that we're constantly
1: making new memories, you might wonder, like Sophia did.
0: Hi, my name is Sophia. I'm from Fresno, California. My question is, if your brain is like a computer, is there a limit to how much memory your brain can store?
4: Here's Stephanie Grilla again. There's a lot of cells in the brain. We have 100 billion neurons. And that is why we can basically just make memories forever. We would never run out of space. I mean, theoretically, we might run out of space if we lived like 300 years, if we had 300 years worth of experiences. But for humans and our lifespan, we will not ever run out of space. We don't have to worry about that.
0: Phew, good to know.
1: There's another important kind of memory that doesn't rely on the hippocampus for recall. It's called
0: implicit memory.
6: The classic example of implicit memory is uh, riding a bike.
0: That's Shannon O'Dell. She researches memory and the brain at Weill Cornell School of Medical Sciences.
6: We all know how to ride a bike. You could not ride a bike through the whole winter. Come springtime, you remember to ride a bike again. And so this type of memory is actually thought to be stored in a different part of the brain, the striatum.
1: So if you play the piano, that skill is stored in the striatum.
0: Your baseball swing? Striatum. Juggling? Striatum. Even tying your shoes? Striatum, striatum, striatum.
1: Given all this, you might think we've got memory all figured out. But Shannon O'Dell says this is still a very new field and there's a lot we don't know.
0: Like why we can't remember stuff from when we were a baby? Or how come sometimes we know we know something, but we can't seem to recall it?
1: Scientists have ideas about these things, but they're still figuring it out.
6: Really, I think in the next, you know, thirty years we're gonna learn so much more than we already know. Cause I think memory is really the basis of what a lot of our brain does. It remembers things whether it's like a memory of words so that you can speak, or if it's a memory of how to walk <laughs> so that you can walk every day. I always like to compare the brain to space because I feel like there's as much to know about the brain as there is about space, and we still know so little about both.
1: Okay, before I forget, it's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? Kenji, do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, I think it's like a paper book and then you're just and then you put your thumb to it and then you just like bend it so all the papers go through and then you put it back together. That's my best guess.
1: Cool. Kesa, okay, so what do you think?
0: So, when I first heard it, it kind of sounded like a mouse trap, but at the end I knew it couldn't because there was a paper scruffling. So, at the end, I think it might be a typewriter just typing something.
8: Hmm.
1: Those are both really good guesses. We'll have the answer coming up.
0: Keep listening!
1: What's it like traveling through a wormhole? You know, a portal from one place in the universe that leads somewhere else?
0: Maybe you see rainbows all around you. Or all of history flashing before your eyes. Or maybe there are flying can openers? That would be really weird.
1: Wormholes are theoretical, meaning they could exist, but we haven't found one yet. We're planning an episode where we're going to talk about these mind-bending space-time tunnels.
0: We'd love to hear what you think it's like traveling through one. I think you'll see just a blue fog around you. I think you see a, a blue energy substance or something like that uh, uh, in the shape of a funnel, and then you just drop into it, and then you just go to your next location. Well,
1: listeners, you can record yourself describing a trip through a wormhole and send it to us at brainson.org contact. The weirder, the better. We love weird.
0: While you're there, you can also send us drawings, comments, and questions.
1: Like Caleb
0: did. Hi, I'm Caleb from Cedar Creek, Texas. My question is, do fish have allergies? We'll answer that in the moment of, um, at the end of the show. Plus, a shout out to the newest addition to the prestigious Brains Honor Roll. Also, Brains On is powered by you. If you want to support the show, you can and should.
1: Every donation helps us answer more questions, talk to more scientists, and make more cool stuff. Do your part at org slash donate.
0: Thanks, and keep listening.
1: You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly. I'm Kenji. And I'm Keizo. So a lot of the time, our memory works pretty well— but sometimes our brains can deceive us. That brings us to this listener question.
5: Hi, Brains On. I'm Louise, and I live in Flower Mound, Texas. I was wondering, what is deja vu? What's going on in your brain when it happens? Why does it always have the same outcome on every single person? Meaning that we feel like we have previously experienced what we are experiencing.
0: Thank you. Have you ever had
1: deja vu, Kenji?
0: Yeah, Every once in a while, I play board games with my brother, and he, and sometimes I just feel like I know what he's gonna say next. It feels so like powerful, like you're a superhero or something. Wow, that's amazing. And Kesa, what about you? Have you had deja vu? Yeah, I definitely agree with Kenji. I feel like an oracle. And I remember my most vivid burst of deja vu was when I first watched Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, especially when Harry Potter first learned Quidditch. I felt like I knew every single bristle of the broom.
1: So like you had never seen it before, but you that broom just looked so familiar to you?
0: Yeah, and I, I felt like I just knew it, even though it looked nothing like the one we keep at our house.
1: That is so interesting. Well, luckily, we know someone who can help explain this bizarro brain phenomenon. Anne Cleary studies deja vu at Colorado State University.
8: Welcome, Anne. Thank you. Hi. Hello. So what is deja vu? Deja vu is usually defined as a feeling of having been in this exact situation before while realizing at the same time that that can't be true. This is new. This is the first time that you've ever been in this situation. Cool. Does everyone get deja vu? Actually, no. Not everyone does get deja vu. So, survey research suggests that roughly two-thirds of people report having experienced it at some time or other. Personally, I've talked to people who've told me that they've never had it. How do scientists
0: research on deja vu phenomenon since it happens so randomly?
8: The way that we did it previously was actually using virtual reality. We used a game, and you may have heard of this game. It's a game called The Sims. It's kind of an older game, but it's a game that allows you to create many different scenes that we could use in virtual reality. So we could create lots of different kinds of rooms, for example, uh, like a bathroom or a living room. We could create lots of outdoor scenes, like a courtyard, for example or a swimming pool area. And what we did was we had people wear virtual reality goggles and just immerse themselves in different types of scenes, one right after the other. And what we did was looked at, well, what happens when a scene has the exact same spatial layout as something that they experienced earlier, but that they forgot about? So basically, when a person forgot, they can't consciously remember uh, that they were in an earlier scene that's very similar to this current scene. Indeed, people seem to be more likely to say, yeah, I'm having deja vu right now. And we think it's because that similarity of the spatial layout is producing a feeling of familiarity.
0: Uh, what makes déjà vu happen? Is déjà vu linked to past memories, or is it a creepy sci-fi thing?
8: <laughs> I love that question. Actually, those those aren't mutually exclusive. I think deja vu uh, is very likely rooted in memory, but it can still make for good subject matter for sci-fi. <laughs> An example might be: maybe you're visiting Paris for the very first time in your life, and you're at the museum called the Louvre. When suddenly you're plagued with this mysterious feeling that you've been to that exact spot before. And it's puzzling because you know this is your first time ever visiting the Louvre. What may be that buried deep in your memory somewhere is actually a relevant previous experience that you're failing to think of at the moment. And maybe, although you haven't actually visited the Louvre before, maybe you watched a movie years ago that had lots of scenes from that museum in it. And if you can't consciously recall that movie as the source of your current feeling, maybe it just feels puzzling and mysterious. You just have this feeling without an explanation.
1: I like that example. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you making time for us today.
0: You're welcome. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.
8: Ba
3: ba 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 brain's on.
1: So déjà vu is sort of a brain glitch, but it turns out it's not the only one. There are other experiences that psychologists have coined terms for besides déjà vu, like jamais vu, or déjà entendu, or presque vu.
0: Yeah, while we were researching this episode, we actually found a weird old clip from some memory glitch TV game show. This must have been way before my time because I totally don't remember it. Check it out.
7: Get ready to make brains feel weird! Welcome to the Glitch Game! Let's meet the contestants. Returning guest, Jamais Vu. Feels like everything, even old stuff, is somehow new.
5: Oh yes, hello, thank you. I know I've been here before, but it feels like my very first time on this game show.
7: This is definitely your 37th time on the show. (laughs) Next up, déjà entendu, translates directly to already heard. How weird. I feel like I've heard you make that announcement before. <laughs> and here we have presque vous, always on the verge of an epiphany.
5: Wait, wait, wait. No, no. I almost have it. It's, it's right there. Um, let me think. Let me think.
7: <laughs> oh, and here is déjà rêvé. The player has a hard time drawing lines between memory, dreams, and reality.
8: I really feel like this game show was in my dreams last night.
7: And last but not least, we have Vuvuzela. Not a memory glitch, but has Voo in its name. Who will make the humans feel weirdest? Stay tuned to find out!
0: I'm so sad we don't have the rest of the show. I know. It's really old, so that's the only bit
1: that survived. But maybe someone out there remembers what happened. And hey, I just remembered. It's time to get back to the mystery sound. Are you ready to hear it again?
0: Yeah. Okay, I'm ready. All
1: right. Let's get those ears going. Here it is. All right. So last time we thought a book or a typewriter. Do you have any new thoughts?
0: Okay. So now that I hear it, I could hear kind of a shuffling with the fingers. Someone's thumbing the paper, and maybe it's a cloth. I think it's a cloth, so I'd say it's a sewing machine.
1: Hmm. That's a really good thought. Kenji, what's your guess?
0: I think uh, it's very similar to what Kizza said, shuffling. So I think it's uh, they use cards to shuffle, like the way where they just get two pieces of one half uh, of the deck and then they just put a bridge and then put it together. That's where that's the oh. sh sound where they just put it together.
1: It's like shuffling playing cards. Yeah. Hmm, excellent guess. Well, here
3: is the answer. I'm Joshua Four. I'm the former United States Memory Champion, and that was the sound of a pack of playing cards being shuffled.
1: Kenji.
0: (gasps) Oh! Yay!
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Excellent work. So what do you think playing cards have to do with memory?
0: So I remember he said he was a memory champion, so I'm guessing what he had to do was memorize the whole deck. No, he shuffled the deck, then he memorized it. So then later in the gaming show, they'd keep the deck and then see if he memorized it correctly. You
1: are totally right. Yeah, Josh competed in memory competitions, like you just said. And the challenge there is to remember as much as you can, as fast as you can. So sometimes they'll, you know, give him a string of random numbers or a poem or maybe pictures of strangers and their names. And whoever accurately remembers the most wins. That's hard.
3: In the United States Memory Championship, one of the events... uh, is to memorize the order of a complete shuffled pack of playing cards, like all fifty two cards in perfect order, so when I did it, uh, I actually set what was at the time the United States record by doing it in a minute and forty seconds.
1: now, you might think that performing mental feats of strength, like memorizing a deck of cards in a minute and forty seconds, would take years of training, but not so, says Josh
3: No, 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 I got into this because i'm actually my real job is I'm a science journalist and I had gone to write an article about this strange contest. And when I heard the competitors telling me that anybody could do this, that they were just using these ancient tricks that people used to know about and to these days we don't really use very often, um, I thought that's fascinating. I want to try and learn these techniques myself. And I went from being somebody with just an average memory to, you know, being the U.S. memory champion. Josh
1: says anyone can train their brain to have a better memory.
3: All of the tricks basically come down to figuring out how to create a wild, funny, crazy, bizarre image in your mind's eye that represents whatever it is that you have to remember. So, like, for me, anytime I hear the number 23, I cannot help but conjure up an image of a garden gnome. Like, you know, one of those funny little like creatures that people put in their garden. So I picture that in my mind's eye, and that helps me remember the number 23. You know, images are much more memorable, especially if they're funny and strange and weird. And so, believe it or not, just by making that transformation into a weird image, you can make information much more memorable.
1: Another really handy trick is called a memory palace.
3: So, that is a related technique. And the memory palace was invented 2,500 years ago in ancient Greece. And the idea is you picture yourself walking through a building in your imagination. Uh, You might choose your home, your school, or like a friend's house. And as you walk through that building in your mind's eye, you deposit images of the things that you want to remember. So like I might put the garden gnome 23 just outside the front door of my house. And then I open the door and I walk in and I want to remember the number 14. So I picture a big monster truck tire rolling past me and then I walk into the next room and the next room and the next room so on creating these funny images and then when I need to recall all of them in perfect order I just take a walk back through that building in my mind's eye and the images are just where I left them.
1: Learning to memorize random numbers or playing cards or a poem might impress your friends but Josh says these tricks can help you in everyday life too.
3: If you're Learning US history it really helps to know like you know the order of the presidents like everything else kind of makes more sense when you know which president came after the other one uh if you're learning uh, geology you got to know you know when the Jurassic, Triassic and Cretaceous were um that just is necessary information to making sense of geology and paleontology and stuff like that so as much as we may have cell phones and computers and uh, all sorts of technology to remember for us. If you want to make sense of the world, you still have to have some basic memories uh, tucked away in your mind. Joshua
1: Fort is one of the founders of Atlas Obscura. If you want to know more about his memory championship journey, check out his book, Moonwalking with Einstein, The Art and Science of Remembering Everything. Memories are stored throughout our brains in cells called neurons.
0: A part of the brain called the hippocampus helps us create and retrieve memories. We also have implicit memories for skills, like playing an instrument or riding a bike. Those are stored in a section of the brain called a striatum.
1: Scientists still aren't sure why we get deja vu, but they're working to find out.
0: Anyone can use tricks to improve their memory, like coming up with funny mental images or using a memory palace. That's it for this episode. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandon Totten, and Molly Bloom.
1: Our jolly good fellow is Maynika Wilhelm. We had engineering help today from Veronica Rodriguez and Corey Streppel. Many thanks to Adele Tan, Mike Rowe, Christina Lopez, Lisa Brenner, Brianna Lee, Mary Knopf, James Kim, Elissa Dudley, Todd Masterson, and McKenna Ridgeway.
0: You can help the Brains On crew at brainson.org donate. Every gift of any size really makes a difference. Seriously. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of
8: Oh!
0: My question is, do fish have
5: allergies? Not in the way that we think of an allergy. And you know, where we get the pollen in our nose and we sneeze and we get the red itchy eyes. My name is Laura Zimmerman, and I'm a biologist. Specifically, an allergy is when your immune system sees something foreign um, and overreacts to it. So an antibody is a protein. In humans, we have five types. Allergies, as we think of them in humans, um, involve a type of antibody that we call IgE. The Ig stands for immunoglobulin, and that's just another term for the word antibody. The IgE, when it's working correctly as part of your body's immune response, helps us get rid of um, what are called extracellular parasites. Like, think like a tapeworm or a hookworm or something gross like that. But when the allergen, like the pollen, comes in contact with the IgE, then the antibody just grabs it. And that triggers the cell to release its substances. And that causes the allergy response. So like the sneezing and the running eyes and things like that. And so fish don't have that IgE antibody. They produce their own types of antibodies. I would say that fish, they, well, they have lots of the same components of the immune system that, that humans do, they use them differently, so they're not so much overreacting to something. Fish in, in nature, if they did have something like an allergy, then they probably would be more likely to get eaten and we would never know it. So it's, it can be hard to study, but we're starting to study those questions a lot more now.
1: Um. Um. Well, here's a list that's nothing to sneeze at. It's the latest group of listeners to join the brains on a roll. These are the amazing people who power our show with questions, drawings, mystery sounds, and high fives. From Los Angeles, Simon from Chicago, Catherine from Carmichael, California, Kai and Merritt from Alameda, California, Luella from Vista, California, Hazel Sawyer and Theodore from Salt Lake City, Jonah and Leora from Brookline, Massachusetts, Nathan, Amanda and Natalie from Verona, Wisconsin, Isaac and Margaret from Pittsburgh, Oliver from Auckland, New Zealand, James from Huntsville, Alabama, Eamon from Philadelphia, Reese from Minneapolis, Miles from Austin, Texas, Jacob and Isabella from Atlanta, Sydney from Mason, Ohio, Ryan from Rancho Cucamonga, California, Mohan from Washington, DC, Lola and Emilio from Huntington Beach, California, Iris from Brooklyn, New York, Alia and Lillian from Albuquerque, Mercurius, Mariam and Abadir from Dumont, New Jersey, Violet and Griffin from Manitoulin Island, Josiah from Ontario, Eva from California, Cora from Independence, Kentucky, April from Burlington, Ontario, Zoe and Cassidy from Marion Station, Pennsylvania, Gavin from San Diego, Xander from Normal, Illinois, Olivia and Violet from Chanhassen, Minnesota, Quinn from Egan, Minnesota, Amelie from Sydney, Australia, Roy and Mary from Toronto, Lucas from Loxley, Alabama, Adam from Kitchener, Ontario, Maxwell from Tallahassee, Florida, Jonah, Rose and May from South Pasadena, California. Owen from Sauk Rapids, Minnesota Maggie from Orlando, Florida Memphis from Fort Lewis, Washington Abby from Melbourne, Australia and Sadie from Columbus, Ohio
0: Thanks for listening!
3: The zippers go on the front The shoes go on my feet Don't forget my pants Before you head to the street